whether you're a Christian here today or not, I think every one of us will agree that Christians love their cliched phrases, uh, even if half the time we don't even know what they, what they actually mean. Like, for example, you know, pray for a hedge of protection or pray for traveling mercies. A couple of other favorites. Um, you need to stand on the word of God. Have you heard that before? Um, what about this one? This is my all-time favorite. Let's do life together. Let's do life together. You need to press into God. What does that mean? You need to press into God. I don't know what that means. Not sure. Uh, the Lord laid you on my heart. Um, or one that I also enjoy is, is God's promises are yes and amen, and we need to take them by faith. And that's the one I actually want to spend some time talking about today. God's promises are yes and amen, and you need to take them by faith. Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth, says that very thing, that, that all the promises of God are yes in Christ. Christ has fulfilled every promise that God has made. And, and our part is to say amen to those promises. We, say, we partner with Jesus uh, in terms of uh, obtaining those promises by, by declaring, let it be so. Amen, Lord. I believe. I'm with you. I'm partnering with you. And the writer in Hebrews goes on to say, in Hebrews 6, he says that, 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 that we are to obtain the promises, we are to take the promises of God uh, by faith. But then he also mentions this word by patience as well. Faith and patience. And that's the hard part. That's the difficult part. The part of waiting. The part of, of struggling as we wait for the promises of God. I guarantee every person here has had to go through the struggle or the agony even at times of waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled in their lives. And that's something of what I want to speak about today, what it means to live by faith, what it means to, to wait on God's promises. How do, we, how do we obtain those promises? How do we walk into fruitfulness uh, as we wait on the promises of God to be fulfilled? And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, first three verses. Um, it'll come up on the screen behind me, but you can read along there or in, 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 in your Bible as I read. Now faith, it says, faith is confidence in, faith is being sure of what we hope for and assurance about or the, the certainty or the conviction of what we do not see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, those, those spiritual ancestors of ours who, who, who through faith and patience, Hebrews says, uh, through, through faith and patience, we, we inherit the promise. This is what the ancients were, were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. By faith, we understand that God spoke the world into being. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That's when the impossibilities become possible in God. When we believe by faith, when we trust God, that's when the impossibilities become possible. It's become something of a little church in the city tradition that the first series of every new year, the first series coming out of the holiday uh, uh, weekend is, is always the series that kind of frames what we believe God is saying to our church for the year ahead. And that's certainly the case this year. That this is going to be the first of a four-part series looking through the first seven verses of Hebrews 11, the great chapter on faith. As I've been praying for the new year, I believe uh, what the word that God has spoken into my heart is the simple word of, of faith and trusting in Him. What does it mean to live by faith? What does it mean to, to wait on God as we anticipate the fulfillment of those promises? 
Every single one of us here have, has, has had God's word spoken into our hearts. We are holding on for things to, to, to come to pass, for, for, for us to see fruitfulness in our lives, in our churches, in our connect groups, in our nation. And we need to learn what it means to, to live by faith and how to wait on God as we trust for those promises to come to pass. When we think of the word faith, we often associate faith with receiving or getting things from God. As I said earlier, uh, uh, that, that kind of cliched Christian phrase is we take God's promises by faith. We, we get things by faith. We obtain things by faith. But if, you, if we were, had the time to read all of Hebrews 11, we would realize that faith is a far more nuanced subject than just kind of putting, uh, asking God and receiving. The second half of Hebrews 11, which we won't turn to, is an incredibly challenging part of Scripture where we see radical faith, where men and women were by faith willing to be flogged and willing to be beaten and willing to be imprisoned and even being willing to be put to death by faith. That's not the kind of receiving that I want when I'm trusting God for things. So I want to ask you to look at verse 24. Verse 24 is the story of Moses. And it's a far more palatable story, a far more palatable account of of Moses doing something quite radical by faith. Verse 24 says this, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, so this was a mature decision. This is not Moses being impetuous and being a, a young believer. No, this is when he was mature. Moses, by faith, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses is celebrated and forever remembered in this great chapter on on faith by something that he refused to do, not something that he necessarily obtained or took or received by faith. Verse 25 through 27 goes on to say things like this, by faith, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, and he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the vast treasures of Egypt. Why? Why? He persevered because he saw him who was invisible, and he was looking to a greater reward. We're going to come back to those ideas of what it means to live by faith as we see Christ and as we see a far greater reward than earth can ever give us. Friends, living by faith is not a decision of sacrifice. Living by faith is a, is a smart decision because we see someone and something that is far greater than the world can ever show us. That's the motivation to live by faith. I just want to point out very quickly that decisions made by faith don't always lead to promotion and reward as the world defines it. A job transfer that pays you more is not always God's best for your life. Saying yes to more money and and an increased salary Very well could be God, but it's not necessarily God. We have to make those decisions by faith. The account of Elijah, although it's not specifically mentioned in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 does talk about the prophets who live by faith, but the account of Elijah, one of the great prophets of God that's told in in, in 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19, it kind of brings some similar truth to this this story of, of, of things that we learned about Moses. It tells us in 1 Kings 17 that Elijah has this audience with King Ahab. And he goes into the presence of the king and he says, 
He says, as surely as the Lord lives, which is absolutely certain, as surely as the Lord lives, King Ahab, it's not going to rain for the next few years until I say so. Imagine the audacity or the confidence of saying that. I think to kind of give it some, some context, just remember, Israel was an agricultural society. So, so Elijah going into the king's presence to declare that it's not going to rain for a few years, according to the word of the Lord, is not too dissimilar to, to one of us having a private audience with the president of the United States in 2004 and saying to him, according to the word of the Lord, the housing market is going to crash in three or four years' time. I mean, that's the, that's the level of, of, of statement, the weight of statement that Elijah is making. I mean, imagine what he must have felt after coming out of the king's presence. Wow, God, what's next? You know, a ministry tour? Where are we going? Where, 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 what stage am I going to be speaking on? Surely there must be a book deal or a, a movie deal coming out of this. There's going to be fame and fortune. I had an audience with the king and declared the word of the Lord. But verse 2 of 1 Kings 17 tells us, an entirely different picture. Look at this. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn east, and hide in the Kerith ravine. You will drink from the brook I have direct, and I have directed the ravens to feed you there. Hide in a ravine. Drink from a brook. Be fed by ravens. I mean, Elijah must have been saying, so God, there's no fame and fortune? And the answer to that is no. But I love Elijah's response in verse five, it says this, by faith, Elijah did what the Lord had told him to do. By faith, Elijah did what the Lord had told him to do. I know that every person here who believes in Jesus as their Lord and Savior wants to be used greatly by God in their sphere of influence. Whatever God has called you to, arts, business, parenting, education, healthcare, whatever area, God has called you to, whatever sphere of influence God has entrusted to you, I know that you are sitting here today wanting to be used greatly and significantly by God. But the overwhelming evidence of Scripture and the overwhelming evidence of church history and the overwhelming evidence of my own experience of seeing men and women around me who have been used greatly by God is this, that, the, that being used greatly by God is often preceded by them having to make a decision to say yes to God to something that doesn't always make sense. Even if it means being hidden in obscurity for a certain season. You see, the reason is, is that God need, needs to work on our character and work on our hearts. I, I love what God says in 1 Kings 17. He says to Elijah, I have directed the ravens to feed you there. You see, he's saying to Elijah, there's a place that I need you to get to. There's a place I need you to be where the supernatural is going to break into your life. And that place is not necessarily a physical place. It's a place in our hearts where we can trust God absolutely. That's where breakthrough comes. It's a place where we love God. It's a place where we are obedient to God. It's a place where we are willing to become less so that God can become more. It's a place where, where pride and fear and even logic needs to get out the way so that faith can take its place. Sometimes logic and reasoning is the, is the biggest uh, obstacle to, to saying yes to God because it doesn't make sense to us. And God wants us to get to that place where the supernatural can begin to break in. 
Elijah's greatest moment was still to come. If you know the story, if you know the accounts, in 1 Kings 19, Elijah is going to be called to Mount Carmel where he's going to face 450 prophets of Baal. And God is going to ask him to, to perform a radical, a radical act of faith and obedience. He's, he's going to be asked to pour water on the altar and still trust for the fire of God to fall. And that's going to usher in a massive revival into Israel. But before God could bring Elijah to that place, he needed to work on his heart. He needed to lay that foundation of faith in his heart. Same is true for us, friends. The amazing truth of this gospel is that you and I, and someone who's here today who might not know Jesus, you can receive Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. You can be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. You can begin to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. In one day, saved, filled with the Spirit, prophesying in one day. But it takes some time for God to work in our character so that the full weight of His glory and plan and purpose can begin to be expressed in and through our lives. And that's where faith is involved. That's where the partnership with God is involved. Often those Seasons of God working in our hearts are those seasons of obscurity. I know many of us here have made some painful decisions out of the limelight. Decisions that are being quite costly because we're following what God is asking us to do. So what do we learn about, or what do we learn from Elijah saying yes to obscurity? And what do we learn from Moses by faith, being willing to refuse the treasures of Egypt. Well, I think it's this. I think we learn that faith is not so much about something that we do, but it's more about something that we're in. Faith is not about something that we do as much as it is about something that we're in. And what we're in is an intimate, loving relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. I love the, 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 the focus of, of worship this morning. Deb's bringing that kind of exhortation of the Father's heart. And then, and then Colleen picking up on it and, and just sensing the, the expressive love of the Father. That's what faith is all about. It's a journey of relationship with God the Father, one that we can trust through His Son, Jesus. This is true of Moses. This is true of Elijah. This is true of every single one of these people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. This is true of you and me. These are, these are not superheroes. These are not spiritual superheroes. These are, are regular, frail people like you and me. Sharita prayed that at the prayer meeting this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we are, are, are frail, uh, normal, regular people that you are using. And I thank the Lord for that. When I read the Word of God, I'm encouraged by if I'm honest, I'm encouraged by the frailty of the people that God uses because I know I'm just as frail. But these were men and women who, who got into a relationship with God, who experienced God. And eventually, and I have to say eventually, because they didn't say yes right away, eventually got to the place where they could say yes to the plans and purposes of God. God's plans and God's purposes are unique to each of us. What God is asking each of you to is different to the person sitting next to you. There are some lessons that we're going to learn that are common to us all, but the things that God has called each of you to are unique 
and specific and different. I was just pondering this reality when over this winter break, uh, as a family, we went to visit Northwestern where Hannah is going to school. Bex was back with us from Boston. And a couple of days after Christmas, we were walking along the, uh, along the, the, the lakefront by Northwestern. I mean, it's a breathtaking campus. You look back and the city is 30 minutes away. And Bex turned to me, she's my eldest daughter in Boston. She turned to me and she goes, Dad, it's really hard. I'm, I'm excited for Hannah, but it's really hard to know that I'm called to Boston and she's called 30 minutes away from the city. And I looked at her and I said, I know it is, Bex. I said, but God calls each of us to something different and unique. By God calling you to Boston, he's doing something unique and specific in you and he's going to do something different and unique and specific in Hannah by calling her 30 minutes from, from, from home. And that's true for each one of us. The, the, the faith journey that each of us have is different and unique. God called Moses to refuse the riches and the treasures of Egypt. God called Elijah to hide in obscurity. God called Caleb to offer a, a better sacrifice. God called Enoch to walk with him. God called Noah to build an ark. God called Abraham to leave his country. There was something specific and different and unique. But in each case, the issue was not necessarily what God was calling them to, but how they outworked their response to what God was saying. They had developed this relationship of love and trust. And in that place of love and trust, obedience begins to flow. We spoke about that last year. Friends, obedience in the scriptures is so misunderstood. It's not cold-hearted law-keeping. Obedience can only flow out of a relationship of love and trust. As we come to love God, we learn to trust Him. And because we trust Him, we can obey Him. And when we obey God, it provides the faith foundation on which God's faithfulness can be displayed. And that's how we grow in faith. We remember how God has been faithful in the past, which gives us courage to step out again in faith. The question I need to ask us all today is, what has God asked you to do by faith? What are the specific things he's asking you to do? What has God promised you? How has God shown you his faithfulness in the past? These are questions that I want us to consider and ponder in the coming weeks. What has God called you to? What has God promised you? How has God shown his faithfulness in the past? How are we to respond to the season of waiting for God's promises to come to pass? Three quick things about living by faith. Firstly, living by faith involves seeing. Living by faith involves seeing. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Faith is the assurance of what we do not see. Well, I just said faith is by seeing, but it's not seeing with our natural eyes. Hebrews 11 verse 1 could very easily say, faith is the assurance of what we do not see with our natural eyes. But faith is the assurance of what we see with the eyes of our heart. You see, if, if we're going to make decisions like Moses and Elijah and the other people in Hebrews 11, we have to have one thing, and that is a vision of Jesus. We have to acknowledge that Jesus is far greater than anything we see in this world, and heaven is far more significant and greater than anything we have before us in this world. That's what enabled Moses to make this decision, which many of us would say is a sacrifice, but it was not a sacrifice at all. He saw one that was greater than Pharaoh. He saw the king of kings. 
He saw something that was far greater than all the riches of ancient Egypt. He saw the treasures of heaven, which will never perish and never rust and cannot be stolen. And that kind of vision is what enabled Paul to live the life that he lived. Paul writes again to the church in Corinth. He says this, he says, he says these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Hebrews 12 says the same sort of thing. In order to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And friends, you and I know that this faith journey that God calls us to is often a race of perseverance. It requires tenacity. It requires holding on. When all else seems lost, we're standing on the word of God. We're running the race marked out for us. And the only way we can do that is if we fix our eyes on Jesus. Not gaze occasionally at Jesus. Not glance out of the corner of our eye at Jesus, but fix our eyes on him. Focus our attention on him. Friends, living by faith, having a king greater than any king this world offers is how we see the world turned upside down. There's a verse in in Acts chapter 17, which I've been reading recently this week and and just loved how, 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 I'll read the verse in a few moments, but just to quickly set the scene, Paul and his friends have been traveling through Asia Minor, going from city to city, preaching the gospel and literally turning the city upside down. They arrive in Thessalonica and this riot begins to, to, to rise up and one of the Jews makes this statement in Acts chapter 17, speaking about Paul and his friends. He says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here to Thessalonica saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. See, friends, that's how we live by faith. That's how we turn the world upside down. Not by our effort, not by hard work, but by having a vision of Jesus, a king who is far greater than any king the world can offer. We start to realize when we follow Jesus and when we live according to the principles of the kingdom, we start to realize more and more that we are increasingly out of step with the world. But instead of pulling back, God wants us to press in and to build a kingdom here on earth, to show the world what it looks like when Jesus is king. Living by faith involves seeing. Secondly, living by faith also involves hearing. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, the universe was created by the word of God. You see the link between faith and the word of God. By faith, the universe, the world was created by the word of God. Romans 10 tells us something very similar. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. Friends, I wanna say God speaks to his people. And we have to learn how to recognize God's voice. God is speaking to his people today. And we have to be those that recognize, learn to recognize and to hear his voice. Some of us sitting here today might say, but you know, some people get up and they say, I heard God say this or I heard God say that. And, and you might think at times, well, well, how on earth do they get to hear God? Because I don't hear God in that way. I want to say, friends, we need to, the, the simple place to start is to start where God's word has been made plain and clear. Remove the distractions and learn to hear 
the voice of God in an undistracted manner. Having a, a, a young boy in our family and those with young kids, you might know some of this, but, but as your children grow up, if you're looking for a, if you want to do a family movie night, it's really difficult to find a movie that's appropriate for everyone. I mean, Born and all of those kinds of movies need to be shelved when it's a family movie night or whatever because you've got to find something that's appropriate. And generally with young kids, it involves animated movies. Now, there's some really great animated movies that are really awesome for adults as well. But by and large, some of them are, you know, can be a little bit slow and tedious. So here's a little trick, here's a little game that I play when we watch animated family movies. Is I try to pass the time by guessing the voiceover, the, the voice actor of the various animated characters. But I can't do it if I see a little rat running around with a little chef's hat on. I can't figure out who that character is. So what I often do is I close my eyes. The family think I'm sleeping, but I, I, I close my eyes to get, away, get the distractions out the way, and I try and guess who that voice actor is. And then I fall asleep, exactly. That's when I fall asleep. The point is this. The only way to be able to, to really hear the voice of who's speaking is to get rid of all of those distractions. And that's sometimes, friends, what we need to do with the Word of God. God's Word is plain and clear. It's God's will that we are thankful in all circumstances. It's God's will for us that we live righteously or live right. It's God's will that we pray for those in authority, etc., etc., etc. Finding that ability to focus in and hear the word of the Lord. God says in Isaiah 66, this is how he responds to those who give priority and takes his word seriously. These are the ones I look on favor with. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and those who tremble at my word. Friends, the revealed word of God, the spoken word of God, the word of God that comes to us by the Holy Spirit, spoken into our hearts, is how the church, how you and I are called to live. It's what gives us our identity. You know we're called believers? You know that? We're called believers. Why? Because we believe. Because we believe the word of God. Because we believe Jesus. Listen to this quote that I, I found by Matthew Paris. Matthew Paris is um, a British, uh, um, he's a British, British journalist. Sorry, I got stuck on that word. British journalist. And he writes a column, I think it's for The Guardian. And he says this about Christians. Christians cannot modify their morality from a fear of becoming isolated from changing public opinion. It's time that convinced Christians stop trying to reconcile their spiritual beliefs with the modern age. If one thing comes clearly through every account we have of Jesus' teaching, it is that his followers are not urged to accommodate themselves to the age, but to the mind of God. Christianity is not supposed to be comfortable or feel natural, be all-inclusive, moderate, or even sensible. The church stands for revealed truth and divine inspiration or it stands for nothing. I cannot read the Gospels in any other way other than it is, the, it is God's word revealed to man through Jesus. Revelation, therefore, and not logic, lie at the center of the church's message. You cannot pick and choose from revealed truth. Do you know that that's an atheist who wrote that? Matthew Paris is a confirmed atheist. He does not believe in God, but that's his take on the Christian faith. And friends, what an incredible truth that we need to hear in our time. 
The church is not about do's and don'ts. The church, Christians, are about responding to the revealed word of God that comes through his son, Jesus Christ. When God speaks a word into your heart, even if it doesn't make sense or if it doesn't compute to your own, in, in your own understanding, we are called to learn, to grow in trust and faith in him so that we can obey what he says, even if it doesn't make sense to us. The the world, I'm convinced, the world is not looking to a church that follows rules and rituals. The, The world is looking to a church and looking to Christians who have a testimony of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way. That's not just a salvation statement. I want to say that defines how church in the city is built. What is church in the city's policy on divorce? We don't have one. Jesus is the way. We press into him to find his heart. What is is church in the city's policy on social justice? We don't have a policy. We follow Jesus' heart. I am the way. And every decision that we face as a church, we have a responsibility and a privilege as as a leadership team and a church to find out what is God's heart in this situation for us as a church. Any other way, friends, is religion. And we are not called to be a religious community. We are called to be a community of faith, a community that trusts the word of God, a community that live by revelation from what God is saying to us. Living by faith involves seeing. Living by faith involves hearing. And if we obey, when we obey, when, because of that relationship of love and trust, and we've seen Jesus and we've heard his word and we step out in faith, that's when the impossible becomes possible. The big kind of truth that I want us to grab hold of today is simply this. Faith is our response to the promise of God. Faith is our response to the promise of God. Faith is how we live as we wait for God to show his faithfulness. Faith is our response to the promise of God. Faith is how we live as we wait for God to show his faithfulness. And God in the perfect time will show his faithfulness. So for those of us who are waiting for God's promise, I would, I would ask for a show of hands, but I'm pretty sure every one of us sitting here is waiting for something that God has promised. I know I certainly am. Let's just get real practical for the last five minutes. How do we wait? What do we do while we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled? What do we do while we wait for God to show his faithfulness? Firstly, while we wait... We need to be those who worship. While we wait, we need to be those who worship. You see, when we worship, we start to, we start to have an exalted view of who Jesus really is. Instead of being focused on the, on the things that we're not seeing God doing, instead of getting discouraged because we're not seeing breakthrough, while, if we, while we're waiting for God to show his faithfulness, as we worship, our, our eyes are lifted up to see the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. 2016, some of you know, was a real difficult year for Debs and I. And for about four or five months, every time I would go and pray, there would be this refrain, this simple refrain that I would sing almost every single day. Faithful, you are faithful. True, you are true. You're always with me. You never leave me. I used to sing that over 
and over again. And you know what it did? It lifted my eyes and it brought the courage from the Father into my heart again. While we wait, friends, we need to be those who worship. While we wait, secondly, we need to be those who remain in God's word. Faith comes by seeing, faith comes by hearing. As we remain in God's word, we begin to remind ourselves of who God is. We begin to remind ourselves of his amazing promises. We begin to remind ourselves of how he's been faithful in the past. Worship focuses our eyes on Jesus. Remaining in God's word reminds us of his faithfulness and his promises over our lives. We need to be those that find ourselves in the word. While we wait, we worship. While we wait, we, we remain in God's word. And then lastly, while we wait, we need to learn to walk in step with the Spirit. While we wait, we need to learn to obey what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. Galatians 5 says this, keep in step with the Spirit. I love that because that gives me a picture of wherever I'm going, the Holy Spirit is right with me because I'm keeping in step with Him. It's not God standing over here and saying, all right, Steve, I want you to do that. Off you go, you're on your own. No, it's God saying, Steve, I want you to do this and I'm sending the Holy Spirit with you. Keep in step with the Spirit. The, 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 the word encourager in, in John 16, the, the, the word parakletos in the Greek actually means this, the one who comes alongside and whispers encouragement. You see, that's whom God has sent. He sent the Holy Spirit, his very presence with us. So while we wait, we worship. While we wait, we remain in the word. While we wait, we walk in step with the Spirit. Mark mentioned this morning at the prayer meeting, and I'm gonna end with this. Mark mentioned this morning in the prayer meeting a verse out of Philippians 3, which is actually one of my all-time favorite verses. Paul is writing about this, this journey that he was on of forsaking those things that used to define him, forsaking his education and his, and his status and, and, and his birthright and forsaking all of that and regarding it all as rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing God. And then he uses this phrase, he says, he says, not that I've obtained all that God has called me to, but I press on, I, I press forward, I run with perseverance to take hold of that which God has taken hold of me for. Think about that. Paul says, I press on to, to take hold, to lay hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me for. That means that God has taken hold of you for something. God has taken hold of me for something. God has taken hold of this church for something. And our, our response is to take hold of that for which God has taken hold of you for. That unique thing, that unique calling. What has God taken hold of you for? Where has God placed you? What has God promised you? What does God want to do with you this year? Take hold of that by, by saying amen to Jesus' yes. Saying, so be it, Lord. Your promise is yes in Christ, but so be it. And while I wait, for that promise to be fulfilled, while I wait for the fullness of what you've taken hold of me for to be outworked, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna worship, Lord. I'm gonna remain in your word. I'm gonna remind myself of your faithfulness. And Holy Spirit, I'm gonna keep in step with you.
I'm gonna keep in step with you. Can we close in prayer before I call Mark up and he's, I'm gonna ask Mark just to facilitate if there's any ministry or whatever, but I want us to pray this morning. There might be some individual responses here today, but I feel this is an opportunity for us to respond as a community, as a church together to say, Lord, yes, me. Yes, you've taken hold of me for things and I wanna take hold of those things. Yes, Lord, let this be the year of faith, but also, Lord, for our church. Let this be the year we begin to see more and more of your promises coming to pass. Let's close our eyes together. Father, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you for the gift of your son. Jesus, we, 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 we just so love being in your presence. We are so grateful, so just undone as we consider all that you have done in our hearts and lives. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are, are, are the encourager. You walk alongside, whispering words of encouragement, anointing us, equipping us, strengthening us, comforting us. Holy Spirit, even now, we ask, for your presence to fall upon us, to touch us this morning. Where our eyes have fallen from you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you just come gently and lift our heads. Where our arms have grown weary as we've worshipped, Holy Spirit, would you just come and lift our arms in praise and adoration of you where our ears, Lord, have grown deaf at your word. Pray supernaturally in Jesus' name that the ears of our hearts would be open right now to hear your word, your living word, your rhema word, your revelation straight from the throne of heaven. Even now, Lord, I pray that you would begin to speak dreams and hopes, desires, as we go to sleep tonight, Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us in dreams and visions. Remind us, Lord, of promises spoken years ago but haven't yet been fulfilled. Holy Spirit, where our legs have grown tired of keeping in step with you, where we veered off the path, where we haven't run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Holy Spirit, would you take us by the hand? Would you lead us back so that we can walk into the fullness of your plan for us, Lord? Touch us, Holy Spirit. Touch us, Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts with faith. We want to see the impossible become possible. We want this to be a year of signs, wonders, and miracles. We want this to be the year, Lord God, where the most hardened of hearts breaks in your presence. We want this to be the year, Lord God, where family members and friends and work colleagues fall at your feet, Jesus, exalting you as Lord and Savior. We want this to be the year, Lord Jesus, where peace and righteousness reigns in the streets of our city. We want this to be the year, Lord God, where the gospel is declared and you, Jesus, 
are worshipped in song, in dance, in art, through business, through social work, through education, through lawmaking, in every way possible, Jesus. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done here on earth, here in Chicago, just as it is in heaven, Lord God. Stir our hearts, Lord. May we make room in our hearts for more of you. I pray, Lord, even now, rip open our hearts. Enlarge the capacity of our hearts for more of heaven to invade. In us and then through us, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Just as every eye remains closed, I wanna just do one last thing before I hand over to Mark. Part of the challenge, part of the reality being a follower of Jesus is that there are times that we have to wait for his promises to be fulfilled. But there's one promise that is answered right away. And that is the promise of new life, the promise of salvation. Bible teaches that if we believe in our hearts, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, the Bible teaches we are saved. We are immediately born again. That's the Bible's language for, for our hearts being made alive to the things of God. I want to ask you today, if you're perhaps visiting church in the city or maybe been coming for a while and you know you've never made that commitment to Jesus, You've never received Jesus into your hearts as Lord and Savior. We don't have to wait any longer. The Bible teaches he's right here. We receive him by faith. That's you. You're saying, Steve, I, wa I want to know Jesus. I don't want to know religion. I want to know Jesus. I want to have a testimony of, of knowing Jesus. I would love to lead you in a prayer this morning, right where you are seated. I will just help you pray where you will lit literally say, Jesus, would you come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior? If that's you, if you're saying, yes, Steve, I wanna know Jesus, could you quickly lift your hand and look at me? I'd love to be able to pray with you this morning. Anyone? Anyone wanna respond to that invitation this morning? Thank you, Jesus, for the amazing gift of salvation that you've given each of us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the grace, your grace that is new every morning, for your love that endures forever, for your mercy, Lord God. Thank you that we are in you and righteous because of that. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.